you don't really know why you're doing what you're doing, it's way easy to quit. And and because it's going to get hard. I think people need to understand that anything that you pursue worthwhile is going to be challenging. And the closer you get to your purpose and your call, the harder that's going to get and the more adversity you're going to face. And so let's just anticipate that adversity is going to come and prepare ourselves in advance. And one of the ways that we can do that is really connecting with why do I, why do, I do this? And then when it gets challenging, we can anchor back into that and keep taking a step forward. Hey, I'm Ashley Eagle. Some of you might know me as Ashley Burkhart, and I'm a former D1 and professional softball player who spent a few years coaching in the college game before deciding to put all of my focus into youth softball players and helping them make their dreams and their goals happen for them. It's our job to help them unleash their potential and become the athletes they've always dreamt of. I come from a small city in the Midwest and didn't let that stop me from making my goal of playing D1 softball a reality. No matter where you live, you have the tools to help you thrive, and I am hoping through this podcast to help you get there. On this podcast, you'll learn from Olympians, Hall of Fame coaches, and elite players what their journeys have been like, and you'll also learn from me and my family a bit of our journey through the game. I'm so excited to have you here, so whip out your notebook and let's learn how we can grow in this game together. Welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. Hey friends, thanks for joining me on another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. Welcome to season three. I'm so excited for our second interview of the season. And this one, roll up your seats and I'm gonna tell you right now, you're gonna need a notebook. This interview is with Dr. Amber Selking, one of the most elite mental performance coaches in the game. And crazy enough, I know her personally. She was a huge influence for me to start this podcast, frankly. We met in person. I had heard great things about her. She was working with the Notre Dame football team at the time. And I started dabbling into her own podcast called Building Championship Mindsets. And the entire podcast really made me think of the sports performance course that I took in college and how all of these different elements that she was teaching were things that allowed me to become great and a lot of these elements are in her new book, which we're going to dive into in a little bit, but it was amazing to meet her in person. I crazy enough learned that she was the VP of leadership and culture development at my husband's company, which is kind of crazy, but all in all, Amber is one of the most, the coolest humans that I've ever met in my life. Needless to say, I love Amber and her work, and I'm so excited to have her here talking about her playbook for winning championship mindsets today on the pod. a little bit about her, but I'm going to be honest, her list is kind of long, so bear with me. Amber was born in Northeast Pennsylvania. She got her bachelor's degree at the University of Notre Dame in the Mendoza College of Business, where she also competed on the women's soccer team. Now, crazy enough, she had a career-ending injury that sparked her desire to learn more about the human brain and how it works after going through an identity crisis herself. Crazy enough, I experienced something similar without the injury. Identity crisis is so real. There, she got her graduate degree in sport and performance psychology at the University of Denver. Then she got her doctorate in sports psychology at the University of Missouri, Columbia. That's just her education, people. <laughs> While she was in the works of all her education, she founded Selking Performance Group in 2012, which drives lasting change in individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations. 
She also has a podcast there called Building Championship Mindsets, which you can actually find on her website, which you can also find in the show notes. But with that, she's also the VP of Leadership and Culture Development at Lipper Components, which she started in 2018, which is what I mentioned my husband's company is. Maybe I'm telling a little too much here. But she also became a professor at the University of Notre Dame in, ironically, the same college that she got her bachelor's in, the Mendoza College of Business. She's a consultant, a speaker, a genuinely amazing human, and I'm so excited to introduce her to you on the podcast. Welcome, Dr. Amber Selking, to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I have Amber Selking, Dr. Amber Selking, in the building. So excited to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to finally make this happen. I know. So way back in the day when I was like, should I do this podcast thing? And we obviously, I mean, I was scared. I was like, I don't know if I should do this. But like you were in the depths of doing your podcast and you were so well known that I was, I met with you once in a Starbucks on campus at Notre Dame. And you were like, just do it. Just, (laughs) I have a guy for you. He's going to help you out. Shout out to Michael. You better listen to this episode. Um, yeah, you like inspired me to start doing this. And now I'm like going on to season three and it's just, it's just so fun. So I have, I have a lot to thank you for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what it takes, right? And we all have things in our heart and it just sometimes takes somebody to kick us in the butt and say, do it, you know, be courageous, but then also provide some resources to make it happen. And that's what Michael did for me. I mean, he was like, you need to start a podcast and there's no excuses because I'm going to do everything. And so then I just gave you the guy that made me do it and all is good. So all is thanks, good. Michael. <laughs> no, all is good. Not turning back. I love it here. So the reason why you're on is because you have this brand new book out and it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, I've already bought like a bunch of copies for my sister who just actually finished her collegiate career playing softball. One of her teammates, my other sister is playing college volleyball. It's called Winning the Mental Game. And... It is a game changer. I can honestly say I haven't finished the last two chapters, but everything I have read is just absolute fire. So I need to know why, what brought you to writing this book? I feel like maybe it's been in the works for years, but it's finally here. Take, take me through that process. Yeah, so the book is really based off of a a training program, a mental performance training program I created back in 2013. Just because I I worked with so many athletes that were like, I want to work on my confidence. And like, you know, I'd get three sessions in. I'm like, man, you don't really have a confidence problem. You've got an emotional control problem. And because you know how to to manage your emotions, you're not confident at the point of execution. Or they'd be like, I want to work on my focus. And then like three sessions in, which it takes three sessions, I don't know why, to really figure out what's actually going on with somebody. And I'd be like, wow, you don't really have a focus problem. You have an awareness problem. And because you're not aware of what's going on inside of you and outside of you, you're, you don't know how to focus on what's important in the moment. So I took a step back and really thought about what goes into a solid mental game, you know, and, and how can we teach that? And I think that that was one of the biggest revelations that I had during grad school is I remember sitting in class and we were learning about confidence. And I was like, we can teach confidence. Like I sort of thought mm-hmm. you had it or you didn't, you know, and good right. luck if you didn't. Um, and so that I was really like, wow, we can teach this stuff. And how many people in the world wish they could deconstruct the mental game and actually build it so that they can show up more consistently as the best versions of themselves. And so I built this program that like walked people sequentially through how your brain works, how it impacts how you show up, and then gives them tools and strategies to train their brain just like they train their body. 
body. And so it's been awesome. I mean, I've applied it to individuals like little athletes, like six and seven year olds. We, mm-hmm. you know, and then I teach the same thing to my pro athletes, but with the little guys, mm-hmm. we just draw more pictures than, you know, giggle more on our calls and in our sessions and, yes. and all the way to elite executives. Right. And, and so I've seen the impact that it's had on individuals and on teams. You know, we applied this for the last four years with the Notre Dame football team um, and and working on applying it to other collegiate programs now as well. And so the, the impact was awesome, but it was still relatively small. Like where I was, was where the impact was. And so I always had in my heart, like, man, I, I would love to turn this into a book someday to get this in the hands of more people. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden 2020 happened and all of the fun things that we used to do at night and on weekends were canceled. So I was like, well, why not work more and write a book? And so (laughs) I I got the bulk of it, you know, written through 2020 and then sort of took 2021 to get all the finer, minor details. I mean, you know, there's 46 QR codes embedded throughout the book. So making sure that those were all accurate and put in the right spots and connected to different social media posts or videos or, or articles um, that were sort of supplementary material and, and doing it while you're working two full-time jobs was a lot. So it took way longer than I thought, but it was, uh, it's here and that's what was really in my heart to bring it to the world. Mm, amazing, what a silver lining too. You know, everybody thinks of COVID as this like dark, awful place, but like this book was conceived there. So it's like one of those things where, thank goodness it all happened because I know you were doing so much and you know, I was the same way during COVID. I was like, what more can I be doing? Because there's like nothing right now. And it's a lot of, I mean, even this podcast came out of there. So it's like, it's kind of just crazy how it all works together. But so grateful that you wrote this book. It is changing my life. I know that I will be reading this over and over and over because um, what I loved about how you broke this down was there were eight plays that you can go forth and do and you, and you encourage them to be done in order, correct? Like you shouldn't go to play eight before you've done play one. And every single play is a chapter followed by work. Like literally like let's do the work on ourself after we understand a little bit more about ourselves internally. So I just think it was, it's such a well thought book. Would you be okay if we kind of dive into those eight plays? Yeah, and let's do it. Briefly talk about each one. Obviously, we're not going to give away too much. Like everybody should go get this book, no matter what. But the first play is awareness, and honestly, this is the one where I go stuck on the longest, to be honest, um, because I think a lot of us aren't self-aware of where we are. But take me through awareness. Why is this play one? Yeah, yeah, it's play one because you have to be aware before you enhance. And I tell everybody when we're going through the sessions, I'm like, listen, I know this isn't sexy. Like talking about awareness is not a sexy topic, but it's funny by the time we get to play five, six, seven, they're like, basically awareness is the most important thing. And I'm like, yes, now you get it. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that that's why we start there. And we really look at what are, what are ways and areas like internal things we need to be aware of, like our thoughts, like our emotions, like our body. And then what are things outside of us that we need to be aware of, like the dynamics that are at play and the relationships or the people that we're around or just situational awareness. And so it really, again, deconstructs a topic like awareness to understand, well, what really goes into it and how can we build it. Mm -hmm. And you dive into awareness, not just physically, but also mentally and emotionally. What does awareness look like for, let's just say an average athlete that maybe didn't have the season that she wanted? Like where, where should we start there? Yeah, I mean, I think first of all is being aware of the thoughts that you're having about that season. Like at the end of the day, sports psychology is just about learning how to think right. 
right? And how do we think right about ourselves, about the situations we go through? And a lot of times when we go through hard things, we stay in our own mind. We don't talk to people. We don't process it. And and then the only thoughts we have about that moment are whatever we're telling ourselves, which oftentimes is not awesome because mm-hmm. we're usually our own biggest critics. And so, you know, I've got people in my life that I can literally text or call and this is what I say. I'm like, hey, help me think right about the situation because I know I'm not. <laughs> and yeah. all of a sudden they give me five more ways to think about what just happened um, or how to process it. And it changes my experience in the the past, the present and the future. And I think that that's, that's really powerful is like awareness of how are you thinking about that season you just had? How are you thinking about yourself as a person, as an athlete? Um, and what does that mean about who you were in the last season, who you are now and who you're going to be in the future seasons? That's so good. And I know there's a ton of coaches that are out there like soaking this all up and I know they want to be right by their athletes. So it's simply just asking those simple questions, a good starting point. Cause I feel like the way I see coaches kind of default in this, in this setting is they're trying to tell rather than ask. And I think being aware is like really getting more internal. Totally. And I think that we tend to think that other people are thinking about situations the way that we think about situations. And the reality of it is everybody's wired very differently and has very different life experiences to date. And I mean, some athletes, I mean, I would be like, oh God, my heart hurts for them. Like, I hope they're going to be okay. And then I ask them and be Mm -hmm. like, hey, how are you thinking about that? And they're like, ah, man. I mean, it was a game, whatever. I mean, it happens, right? I mean, look at the best of the best. They've get, and they'll give me like a specific example of one of their favorite players that have made the exact same mistake that they just made. And they're like, dude, if he can do it, it's fine for me. Like nobody's even watching me play right now. And I was like, oh, okay, well then guess we're good. <laughs> I'm not going to give you any, right. I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to give you any wrong ways of thinking about that. Like, I don't want to project my perception onto you if you don't even have that. And then other times, like, I don't think things are a big deal, but I asked just to check in and you got a kid that is just broken and is beating themselves up. And it's like, man, a couple simple words to them. And they're like, oh yeah, you're right. Thanks. And you can just see the sense of relief and heaviness come off of them. And I'm like, man, what if they would have held on to that for the the whole day or the whole week or some people years, you know, that they hold on to things. And so I think you nailed it. Like you asked the question, how are you thinking about that? Mm. How do you feel about that last play? And get a gauge and then speak truth, you know? And well, what are some other ways that you think we can think about that? Or, hey, listen, you got a long career ahead of you. Like understand, like the game of softball, the game of baseball is a game of mistakes. So it's it's about how quickly can we recover? And I think that those are really helpful ways to just intersect into people's lives into important moments. Yeah, a beautiful way to connect as well. I totally. I love that one so much. All right, play number 2. Let's talk about motivation. It's your job to motivate you. I think it, it's it's really about helping people understand that there's different things that drive us and we need to be aware of those. And then we need to understand what levers can I pull to stay motivated? Because listen, excellence is hard. It's not sexy. I mean, people see college athletes and they're like, oh, it's so glamorous, you know? And it's like, all right, here's the life of a college athlete. You get up in the morning, depending on your health, you might go to the training room, (laughs) grab breakfast, go to the training room, go to class, go to lunch, go to the training room, go to practice, go to the training room, do homework, eat dinner, maybe do some more homework, go to sleep. And then you get up 
and you do the exact same thing again. Um, And then you've got these moments called games (laughs) that should be the highlight right, of our college experience, but depending on how you're playing, what your team chemistry is, how your coaches are, depends on if those games are the fun part of your life and are glamorous or if they're just more stress and, you know, frustration. And so I think motivation is really about helping people understand that there's a lot of different types of motivation and we need to understand them so we can pull those levers appropriately when it's really challenging, when we want to quit, when we're really tired, when we're sore, when it's not glamorous. And and staying connected to the things that matter most to us. You know, I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen athletes almost lose, like quit their sport because they've got such bad coaches that are making it miserable for them. And and they've disconnected from why they even love the game and why they started in the first place. And when you can reconnect with that, despite what's going on outside of you, you can hold on to a sport that you love, you know, and, and hopefully coaches figure it out or you get to a place that's more healthy. But yeah, that's what motivation is all about. That's perfect. And this is my first earmark, actually not my first, but a definite earmark on page 49 of the book. Um, I love how you say this. You say, people share their dreams and goals with me all the time, but honestly, I'm always more interested in learning how badly they want to accomplish them. That that takes me into like your why. So mm-hmm. how important is that why behind the dream or the goal to keep you motivated? I mean, it's so critical, right? Because if you don't really know why you're doing what you're doing, it's way easy to quit. And and because it's going to get hard. I think people need to understand that anything that you pursue worthwhile is going to be challenging. And the closer you get to your purpose and your call, the harder that's gonna get and the more adversity you're gonna face. And so let's mm-hmm. just anticipate that adversity is gonna come and prepare ourselves in advance. And one of the ways that we can do that is really connecting with why do I, why do, I do this? Why do I play this sport? Why am I in this relationship? Why am I in this career? And then when it gets challenging, we can anchor back into that and keep taking a step forward. This one step every day matters a lot in the long run. Totally, totally. I think even as like a business owner, I find myself struggling with this sometimes. Um, and is it normal to struggle with motivation every once in a while? Like, is that okay? <laughs> Total. I mean, we all do it all the time. It's like this, you know, it's this ebb and flow. But I think that that's where when you learn to 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 win your mental game and apply all these plays together, everybody's going to be on this wave of some sort. But when when you have a solid mental foundation and, and you've got good people around you, those waves just aren't quite so high and low, right? And, and mm-hmm. that's what we're looking for. How do we stabilize the journey that we're all on? Knowing that there's going to be highs and lows, but but can we can we get more stable in how we process and experience life? And I think that that's where the mental game can come into play for individuals, for coaches, for parents, for just human beings trying to navigate the world, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's totally where the rest of this book goes. It goes into like, how do we make sure our highs don't get too high or our lows get too low? So I'm ready for play number three, which mm-hmm. is like the, the big kahuna for a lot of athletes, I think. And that's confidence. You say confidence is a choice, choose to be confident. Well, how do we do that? I feel like when I first say that, you see athletes like, confidence is not a choice. Cause like I got days and I'm feeling it. And then I got days where I'm not, you know, but when you, but when you realize at the end of the day, confidence is just a thought and Mm. who controls your thoughts? You do. And so we want you to choose confidence 
every time when you step into the classroom, when you step onto the field, when you step into the weight room, when you step into, you know, ask your first person out on a date, you know, it's like, <laughs> we want you to choose confidence. And, and yet we want that to be grounded confidence and, and things that you know, that even if you might have that little tinge of doubt, cause we can have doubt and still choose confidence. We can have fear mm-hmm. and still choose confidence. And what this chapter really breaks down is what goes into confidence. What are the five keys to confidence? And if we invest over time consistently in the five keys of confidence, then that becomes a logical choice. And mm-hmm. you can talk yourself into understanding, yeah, I should be confident right now. You know, even though I feel this little butterflies in my stomach or I don't know the outcome, I can still choose confidence because I know these are the things that lead to confidence and I've invested in them. And so this is a logical choice. Yes. And in this chapter, you talk about your near self-talk having a power statement. And what's crazy is I must have learned this back when I took sports psychology in college, but like I've been preaching power statements to my athletes for years. And the fact that I'm literally looking at like the same stuff that I'm teaching my kids, it's like, I love this so much. Like, I know. And now my kids that are like, yeah, sure. Power statement. I'll be like, it's in a book. Like it does work. Um, so tell me how you teach power statements or just simply the, the power of having one. So this is number three, I believe of the pillars you were mentioning. Yeah. So, you know, again, what we talk about early on in, in the book and in when I'm working with athletes is that repeated thoughts build mindsets and mindsets are literal protein patterns that rewire our brain and change the form and function of our brain. So I tell kids, mindsets are like Instagram filters. So you could have one picture and depending on which filter you throw on it, it changes the total experience of the picture itself, right? And so Mm -hmm. mindsets are the same way. And so our thoughts, repeated thoughts, things that we think over and over and over again, thoughts are like mental reps for our brain. And that's Mm -hmm. that's what builds those mindsets or those Instagram filters. And so power statements are really mindsets that we want to form in ourselves. And so we, we challenge people to think about like, I am fill in the blank, right? And so those are, these power statements should be positive, productive, powerful statements about yourself, your team, your mission, and things that you can say to yourself to literally power up in that moment. And then as we repeat them over and over and over again, they they literally build a mindset so that when we step into moments, that's what's activated, right? Like I am mm-hmm. strong. I am powerful. I am, I'm a beast. I, um, I'm a child of the King, you know, like these are all p- power statements that my athletes or business professionals, um, have sort of acclimated into how they operate. And, and that's why we want to use them, right? Because they build these mindsets that change how we show up to moments. Mm-hmm. And it really shifts my own mindset. So my, my personal one is that I've chosen for myself and maybe I'll choose another one at another point in time, but this one works for me now. I am a strong leader. And I, I personally like this one because there are days where I just want to sit on the couch and not do anything. And But I know there's so much work to be done and I have to literally like shift my mindset to like, no, like that's not what strong leaders do. Like when things need to get done, they get them done. So it's kind of a way for me to personally work on this, but I think anybody and everybody should have a power statement to keep you in check. <laughs> That's so good. You know, and again, it applies everything. Like, well, if I am a strong leader, is this behavior aligned with that? And, And just that sort of mental awareness of 
who you are and who you want to be sort of checks you a little bit and is like, okay. And then you, and then if you don't do it and you sit on the couch all day, you just sit there feeling terrible. And it like, yeah. and it's like your own, <laughs> it's like your own accountability partner because your brain is like, well, we told ourselves this is what we want to be and who we want to be and mm-hmm. how we want to do it. So get off the couch, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. And being sick sometimes is hard. Like I'm physically sick right now. So like the past two days I have been sitting on the couch, but then I'm like, I need to make sure that I'm taken care of before I can go help my people. It's just this ebb and flow. But again, we're trying to keep our curve nice, like not too high, not too low, but just keep going in the right direction. Well, and I think um, you hit a good point there. Like high high achievers often think that recovery is for weak people. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the right way of thinking about recovery, champions think about recovery as like recovery is part of the performance process. And mm-hmm. being aware of what our bodies and our minds and our souls need to stay filled up and and powerful to contribute to the world is not a weakness, that's a strength. And so acknowledging the fact that, hey, I need to dial back a little bit and let my energy come down so that my body can heal and get back will actually in the long run produce more output than not, than just trying to like keep going until you grind yourself thin. So again, a mindset shift for a lot of elite and high performance, myself included, I'm saying this and I am not great at this. So, (laughs) you know, like this is something that I constantly have to work on is like prioritizing, taking care of myself because that's the easiest thing to not take care of in the process. But it's an important mindset shift to have if you want a long career, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is where I'm listening to like all these entrepreneurs. And a lot of times year three is like the, the ticking. It's like where a lot of people stop. So, cause they're not resting or they're not recovering or they lose their motivation, but I'm on year five. So I feel like I'm doing at least maybe something right. Um, <laughs> even though I have my days, but that leads us perfectly into play number four, which is intensity management and finding that zone. I love this one. Yeah, so intensity management is all about finding your optimal zone and the chapter breaks down sort of the science behind optimal zone and and what that means and um, and more importantly, how to get in it, right? I think that a lot of times athletes and coaches that are like, man, they have these days where they're like, oh, everything was perfect. I was feeling it, it was awesome. And then there's days where it's like, you know you don't feel like you feel when you're at your best. And so then you start giving yourself excuses already of why you're not gonna have a good game. And Mm -hmm. this chapter really tries to help people understand is like, listen, we can understand optimal zones and then we can understand ways to get in it. So if you find yourself not in it, how do you turn up or turn down to get there? And and then realizing too that every day might not be like, you might have to adjust what that optimal zone is going to be for you today, right? Like you sick mm-hmm. right now is going to be a different optimal zone than if you're in your it feeling a hundred percent, right? So right. instead of beat yourself up over that, make the necessary adjustment, get into that zone of how you do your best in this space and then execute, you know, and knowing that that will lead to higher levels of performance. Yeah. And I love how you set examples of like how to turn up and how to turn down. Like obviously a sick day for me is like, okay, how do I turn up? Um, the urgency yep. of this call and like literally right before we were on, I played like some just Top Gun music because that gets me in the zone. Probably because I just obsessed with the movie, but that was a way for me to kind of get myself in the right headspace. So like music is huge. Now, I think the hard part is like trying f- to find ways to turn down because I think with like a fast pitcher on the mound or the, the game is moving faster, um, it's hard for athletes to be able to like turn down. 
because they're living in like the high of, st of highs and they need to just kind of get to more of the optimal zone. So like, what are your examples of just like ways that athletes can kind of take a second, turn down a little bit so they can be in their optimal zone? Yeah, I, first and foremost, breathing. I mean, that's the number one way to help people turn down and 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 quiet, slow your heart rate down, slow your mind down. So a couple slow breaths in through your nose, down into your belly and out through your mouth. So a lot of times when people take a deep breath, they inhale and their shoulders come up. But what mm -hmm. we really want is people's bellies to come out, which is when your lungs are actually filling with air and getting more oxygen. And oxygen, again, goes to your brain, helps your brain think more clearly, it resets your central nervous system to allow for those fast twitch muscles to fire and it relaxes muscle tension. And so a lot of times when we're, when we're getting too high, our body starts to tighten up, our breathing gets more shallow and our mind starts racing. And so a couple of those deep breaths slows all of that down and helps the brain and eyes process information better. Um, so that's the number one way that, that we get challenge challenge people to to slow things down and then also goes back to your power statements what are you saying to yourself um visual cues where are your eye placement a lot of times when we get mm. too worked up our eyes start taking in way too much information and start darting all over the place and so when you add your breathing with some self-talk, with managing where your eyes are, it can really start to slow things down for you and help you dial back into that zone. Mm, this is so good. And if you haven't practiced like deep breathing, like in, into your stomach, it's funny, I showed, I showed two of my athletes that I work with, I'm like, have you ever thought about breathing into like your stomach? And they were like, no, like I always breathe here because this is my chest. And like, it was so hard for them. These are high school athletes that are some of the best in the state that are like not understanding like breathing into your stomach and the power that that truly does give your body to slow down. They were just used to breathing here, up here in their yeah. shoulders. And as soon as like, we literally worked on this for like 10 minutes. I was like, guys, this is really important. And once they got it, they're like, I get it now. I get it now. Like, I'm, because I, you can feel it. Yes. And it yeah. just brings attention. It's like taking something that subconsciously happens in breathing, making it more conscious. And it's like a way for you to almost like control something when things might not feel like you're under control at all. So 100%. big fan of that one. Huge fan of that one. It is crazy though. Most It feels so different if you're not used to breathing that way. So it really does mm -hmm. take time. And it's funny because like I'll teach that, you know, I've worked with, with, our, with our football teams. Like we, I teach it in the classroom and then I'm with them outside at their runs, right? And as soon as they get, they, they're running and they're like, you know, and they're back to their chest and I'll literally put my hand on their belly and I'm like, bring your belly out. And they, it takes them a while. And then all of a sudden they do it once and they're like, whoa, that mm. feels weird. And then they get a couple reps in and they feel their heart rate come down. And then they're like, oh, I'm ready for the next run. You know? <laughs> and you can just see them like just power up like little superheroes. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's such a powerful tool to use um, when we need to, to control the moment versus letting the moment control us. Totally. Totally. I wish we could talk about each of these sections for like a full hour, but I want to be conscious of your time. We have, I think, four more plays left and some of these are the most important. So play number five, attentional control, giving power to what you focus on. Yeah. So attentional control is just learning to direct your attention onto what's important in the moment and to be in the present moment. So a lot of times, you know, our mind will stay on the last play that we just had or run to the future and think about the outcome. And, you know, what we know is the best of the best can be in the present moment. And it's just this pitch, 
this play, um, you know, wh wherever it is, and they're able to be present, which connects the brain and the body. And that's where performance happens. Performance happens in the present. It doesn't happen in the mm -hmm. past and it doesn't happen in the future. It happens in the present. And so attentional control is, again, just teaching people. It teaches people how attention works, how distraction works, and then, again, challenges you to put your attention on the right things at the right time. And that's what focus is about. Yeah, and I think that this one even kind of goes with intensity management, simply because those tools that are helping you, like, you know, focusing on your breathing, it's a way to become more present in my eyes. So these all just run together so nicely. It's like and you planned this. It's <laughs> like that's the point, right? So exactly. It's like everyone just sort of builds on each other and then you start to see how they're connected. And But again, we have to be aware before we can before we can understand what optimal zone is, right? But, and then we have mm -hmm. to understand what optimal zone is. And then we start to see how attention works and how those things connect. And again, it's the brain-body connection that allows for high performance to happen. It's so good. And the past can teach you so much, but I think a lot of players that I work with, they're so scared of what the future might hold. They're like, oh my gosh, but like, what if I'm the last out of the game? Well, if you are the last person up in the game and you're focusing on the future that you don't want to happen, it's going to happen. And that's just kind of how our psychology works. So being able to find ways to get back to present, not worry about the past or the future and just be here is where we're going to find optimal success. And I mean, you see it with your athletes. I see it with mine. It's like a no brainer. <laughs> We, uh, we worked with Notre Dame softball this past year, and it was just incredible to watch those girls apply this, you know, regardless of where we were at early innings, if we gave up runs, like their ability to stay focused, to stay confident, to keep the energy up in the dugout was remarkable. And the amount of games mm -hmm. that we came back and won just because like they didn't stop believing, first of all, and then secondly, they applied their mental skills to to control what they could control was, was incredible. And to stay in the present moment and to just believe and keep executing. And it was just, it was awesome to watch them uh, apply this stuff. You're going to win games that nobody else expects you to win when you do this and you find that optimism. So yeah, go Notre Dame softball. You, you and I both know we love them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Play six is emotional mastery, controlling the controllables. Like who, can, we, can we talk about this topic for an hour? Oh wait, we don't have time. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think that this is, when I ask people like, how much time, energy, and attention do you spend on things that you can't control? And they're like, mm hmm, mm, a lot. And I'm like, how much time, energy, and attention do you think you should spend on stuff you can't control? And they're like, zero. And I was like, exactly. Mm -hmm. So again, control the controllables. And again, you have got to learn about attention so that you can direct your attention to what is in my control and how can I focus on these things. And when I do that, you know, control gives us a sense of peace, right? And a sense of presence and poise. And that's really what emotional mastery is about, is not allowing your, your emotions to take over in the moment. Because when we start thinking about the, uh, the ref's last call or the umpire's last call or who's the pitcher on the mound, right? Like all of a sudden now our emotions start to, to get away from us. And a lot of times too, people like get excited, right? They, they, they feel that adrenaline stirring in their, in their chest or the butterflies and, and they think, oh God, I'm nervous. This is terrible. But, but really that's just your body getting prepared to compete, right? Like that adrenaline mm -hmm. is, is helpful as long as we don't allow it to dump, right? 
Right. Th those butterflies are just um, you getting excited about this opportunity. And so as coaches and as parents, a lot of our communication is just about reframing um, situations and moments to help people think right about them. Like, you know, Coach Kelly said all the time before big games, like, guys, we're excited about this opportunity. This isn't something to be afraid of or fear or be nervous about. We're prepared. We've put in the work. You trust the brother beside you. Like, let's go have fun with this. And that shift of perspective is like, oh, all these feelings are good, right? They're normal. Mm -hmm. This is this is something that we want to enjoy. I heard Evan Longoria, he's got a really good video on, on an e, E60 out there talking about like, you know, when he went to the World Series for the first time and he was such a stud, but going into the World Series, he like batted terribly. And on the back end of it, he said, you know, I had to learn those emotions of of what that, what it felt like to be in situations and scenarios like that. And so we, we've talked a lot about that with the softball team as well is like, hey, we had to learn what it felt like to be in, in these regional games and, and to be so close right but now mm -hmm. let's use that learning moving forward so that we don't we can we can understand those feelings as part of the process and part of the journey that that comes with being in big games right and so that we yeah. can think right about them yeah and love the big games like a lot of people get nervous but this is an easy way not easy none of this is easy but it's a it's a simple way to kind of just look at it and use it for fuel so that's amazing totally I love it. Okay, play number seven, mental rehearsal. This one's a good one. I love this one. And the fact that you said what the mind conceives, the body achieves, like let's just call our shot. Like let's go. Talk totally. about this one. Yeah, you know, what I think is important here, a big key takeaway is that, you know, the brain doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined. And so mm -hmm. it actually, you can actually build talent at the neurological level through doing really good mental reps. And so this chapter mm -hmm. breaks down, what does a good mental rep look like? How do I do really good mental rehearsal so that I can get that neuro firing? And, you know, if I take a hundred at bats at practice, but then I do a hundred more in my mind that night, well, now I've got 200 reps on the day versus mm. my opponent that might have a hundred reps on the day. And so when we talk about finding our edge, the mental game really is the edge and mental rehearsal. You can use all the stuff that we learned in the first six plays, build it into those mental reps. So you, you incorporate your breathing and your power statements and, you know, attentional control into those mental reps. So that when we get in those moments, We've felt those feelings before and we've managed those feelings before because we have a hundred times in our mind. And now I'm just in a real scenario and I'm going to execute because that's what I've trained my brain and my body to do. And we've been there and people talk about all the time, like, yes, if you're not practicing your mental game, you won't have it. And these are literally just simple ways to just simply, you know, you call it meditation, call it whatever you want. You're just practicing putting yourself in a situation you know you'll be in, in the future. And if you've already been there, it's so much easier. So Totally. Good. So good. Okay. Play eight routines. Yeah. This is where it all comes together, right? Routines mm -hmm. are last. I think a lot of people start with routines. It's like, well, what the hell do I, I put in my routine? You right. know? And so you, you, we should incorporate things that we've learned leading up to this into our routine um, to just help minimize cognitive load. Routines are just about removing variability, giving us something to go to when things start to speed up on us, when things get challenging. Well, hey, stick to my routine, focus on these things, and it, and it helps slow things down. It helps drive consistency, even when you know, there might be highs and lows in a game, which I get, you know, I heard a major league batter talking about how, like when he's in a slump, he's like, I just stick with my routine. Cause I know that will get me out 
of it eventually. Like this is a major leaguer talking about being in a slump. Again, can we think right? If you're in a slump, hey, so do big leaguers. So settle down. Don't beat yourself up. Don't get so anxious. Stay consistent, stay calm, and trust the process. And routines allow us to do that. It's so beautiful. And it's it's so amazing to see that like a lot of people try to change their routines when things aren't working. No, no, no. That's your foundation. That is what got you where you are. You yep. rely on that and you'll be able to see everything go crazy for you. Man, I wish we could have talked about this more. This is all me though, because I was a little late to the conversation. Yes, I'm going to say it. But what I love that you finished with is just how to take the playbook, which is literally what I'm holding in my hand and what I think every single person listening should be doing and holding yourself is how to take the playbook to the field. Biggest question I get is like, how do you take your reps that you're taking in the cage and and take it to the field? Like that's the hardest thing to do. Well, mastering these eight plays is how you do it. Any final thoughts? I know you got to run on the book, but other than the fact that everybody should have this. No, I mean, I just think that, like you said, it's it's a playbook. And so this gives you a really good foundation that you can run with, that you can pull from. And, you know, we're often not running all eight plays at once. We're where there's moments, it's like a it's like a play in softball. You don't run all the plays at one time on defense. Like there's there's situations and scenarios where you're executing different pitches and different, you know, strategies offensively or defensively. And this is the same true, same as with the mental game. It's like there's moments when we need to apply these things things in different situations and scenarios. And this gives you a full playbook to be able to pull from to run in your life. And so I would just encourage you to check it out. And and I've got a podcast too called Building Championship Mindsets that has a lot of other really good material in it. I found that coaches are loving the book to use it with their teams, like in go chapter by chapter, like you said, the podcast, I've also had coaches use like, hey guys, okay, listen to this episode. And then Mental Monday, we're going to talk about it as a team. And so, you know, there's a lot of really good free resources out there that you can incorporate for yourself or for your team or for your family, you know, because again, this is applicable to everyone. And Ashley, I know that you've got Mm -hmm. like these final five questions. We can totally, let's do them. Let's do them. (laughs) Do them. Are you sure? You have somewhere to be. Let's do it. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, by the way, all the ways that you can follow her podcast, which I highly recommend, I listen to it myself for anybody and everybody, athletes, coaches, parents, like it's going to help every single person that's out there looking to grow themselves in their mental game. But I'll put all of that in the show notes so you guys can go over and see it all and also follow you on Instagram or Twitter. Which one do you like better? I'm on all of them. At Champ Mm -hmm. Mindsets. I'm on Team Follow Back. So hit me up. (laughs) Love it. Okay. First, I know this is my five to thrive abbreviated. Um, What is your favorite sports movie? (laughs) Oh, Remember the Titans. Oh, I love that one. That just gave me goosebumps thinking about it. Um, Absolutely obsessed. I love it. Do you have a favorite coaching memory? Oh yeah. So many, but like, (laughs) I think like to me, like the moment, all the, all the stories that just came to my mind were like in game moments where like you could just be with a player or a coach and like intersect to help think right. And you see it click in like the biggest moments of their lives. And then they go out and they execute. And that to me is like, there's no feeling like that. You know, one, because it's like, you can you can help somebody in that moment. But but then I think what, what really gets me excited is like, they realize like, holy crap, like I have, I have this strength 
and this power. And it was me that did this in this moment. And knowing that like they're gonna be able to pull on that in a future play or when they're a husband or a father or you know a, a business leader someday or a, a wife or a mom, like these are moments that they're gonna latch onto that's like, no, I can do this. I have it inside mm-hmm. of me. And that that's the to me why coaching is such a sacred profession. Which is why I'm doing this for the rest of my life. You also share a couple of those moments in here, by yeah, the way. Yeah, the, um, the book has some of them, but those, yeah. there's several of them. And I think those are the ones yeah. that it's like, God. We, and, and when you have that trust and that love and that relationship with somebody and they let you speak into their life, like that to me speaks volumes of like what got b- happened before that moment, you know? 100%. It's so good. It's so good. There's no, there's no feeling like telling an athlete, like, I love you. And they're like, I love you too. And it's like, Mm -hmm. and it's so pure and, and I don't know, healthy. You know, I think that the teams that I've watched is like the players say, I love you a lot. The coaches say, I love you a lot. And, and this is guys to guys, girls to girls, girls to guys. I mean, it's just like, because you realize what, what love really means and is and, and how that shows up in a deep way in really hard moments. And I, I think that's beautiful. Yeah. So this is an added question. Who is that? Who is that coach for you? that shows you that unconditional love? My husband is incredible, like my guy, you know, and he is my mental coach. And my mom is, has always been that since I've been little. Like I've been a lot since I've been little. And like my mom just raised me so well. Like I often wonder like, how did you handle me? And she just did it so well and so graciously. And she still is that person. And then, you know, my grad school advisor, Dr. Rick McGuire, um, he is my like mental performance coach of how I Mm -hmm work, you know, like he's, he's like a coach for me in this field. And then I've got a couple, you know, three 80 year old mentors that are in my life that, that speak truth and life and wisdom and perspective into my life as well, which is pretty awesome. That's amazing. So what's a recent lesson that you've learned that maybe either is in the book or not in the book that you think everybody should know that you've had to learn yourself recently? Oh, that's good. I, I I know you hear it a lot, but trust the process. Life's a series of seasons and this too shall pass. And and being patient through that and even in hard seasons that we're in, find the joy, find the hope, and just keep taking steps and then something will break and and there'll be the next the next layer of your greatness. But don't quit when it gets hard because there's just this is that is part of the process and so mm-hmm. and again I I feel like that's something I've learned a lot over life but that's you know recently has just been another I, I think one other thing too I think in this last season I've been in is like we can hold two emotions at once and we can be happy and sad and we can be hopeful and frustrated and we can be strong and weak in the exact same day, at the exact same moment. And that is a strength to being human that I think we often don't realize we can tap into. I think we think we're mm-hmm. one or the other and and we can be both or multiple simultaneously. And that is the beauty of being human. Mm. Jeez, that's so good. Well, before I ask you the final question, I just want to thank you for staying extra with us. Like, this is so good. I'm so happy you were able to do this. Absolutely. I'm so happy. 
we were able to meet. I literally cannot recommend this enough. Like I don't buy this for my family unless I believe in it. So it's so cool being like a former professional athlete and looking back and being like, yeah, I had this. I just didn't realize I had this, but now like it's, it's, on paper and we can read how it's done. It's just And I think that that's, you know, that's the other important part to note is if you like this book is for anybody whether you're like really struggling right now or whether you're you're like in that training process and trying to get anything you can to get better or if you're really really good. My guess is you like you said, you've d- you do a lot of this stuff. You did a lot of this stuff, but now all of a sudden now you can do it with more intentionality, right? With mm-hmm. more confidence, with with more belief in what you're doing and why you're doing it and that will find a new layer for you. And so I think that's the beauty of this mental game in general for all of us people is it's it's where wherever we are, it will intersect us and it will get us better. Mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, final five to thrive question. What legacy do you want this book to have? Oh, wow. What a great question. I think I'll probably answer it similarly to how I answered what's my favorite coaching moment. Like I want this book to open people's inspire. So inspire is one of my favorite words. It means to breathe life into. And I want this book to inspire people's hearts and minds and give them knowledge and tools that they can apply. So it it opens their minds and their hearts to to new ways of being. And then, then, then letting them go do it and realize that like they don't, they we have power to change our own lives and we don't have to be at the mercy of someone else or some system if we can learn to think right where we are and take back the most beautiful part of being human, which is our brain and and to really understand how to use it. And the the legacy that I hope this leads is that like, gosh, this opened my mind and my heart, but what what then I went and did something about it and I'm a different person because of it, because I believe that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I just think a lot of times we don't know how to do that. And, and so I, my hope is that this book is the how that helps people renew their mind and therefore transform their lives. Ooh, I have goosebumps. Let's just drop the mic right there. This has been such an honor. I can't wait to do something like this again with you. I just, you have so much knowledge and this is just a piece of it. And I'm honored you got to share a lot with, with me and, and my community. So thank you. Thanks for everything that you do. Thanks for those of you listening. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. Like it matters and keep fighting the good fight because you are changing so many people's lives. And uh, it was really an honor and a blessing to be here with you today. So thank you. God bless you guys. Uh, Thank you. Holy smokes. Amber has so much freaking wisdom. I did not want this conversation to end. I am already eager to get her back on the podcast just because of how much knowledge she has for the mental game. And I know some people like aren't super into this work or the skills around the mentality and the psychology of how to be a great athlete, but I hope she breaks it down in a way to where it's so interesting enough for you to want to learn more about it. Now, in the show notes, I'm going to have some other episodes that we've had on the mental game, some talking about very similar concepts that Amber brought up today, and so much more. So I just love how in-depth she goes with this list um, and how there's an order. I never thought about that. When I played professional softball, I didn't know that there was an order that needed to be done. Like You can't do any work on confidence without awareness of where you are. And then you need motivation and how to get motivation and how it's got to come from self. These are such incredible concepts. 
Now, in the show notes, you can find how to follow Amber, check out her book, Winning the Mental Game, and a few more links that you may be interested in. I'm just so excited that she was here, and I'm so excited that you were here to learn and grow from this conversation. I believe I will be listening to this more than once, and if you didn't grab everything from this, maybe you should too. I want to know what your favorite play was, personally, so let me know on social by tagging Amber and myself so we can give you a shout out on social media. I want to start engaging with this community more. And as you guys found out last week, we have a brand new When the Cleats Come Offline of gear that you can wear. We've had some people order some hats and some t-shirts. And I'm just so excited about the hype around all of this stuff as well. I'll also put a link to the show notes to our new gear and our new line as well. Um, I'm very excited about it. I'm excited to serve this community more, especially in season three. We have some incredible episodes coming up soon. But next week, you'll find a solo episode from me. And with that, don't forget to stay humble, stay awkward and keep smiling. All right. See you next week. 